David, I want to thank you for affirming and encouraging my sense of humor. I am going to be using your words to remind Rachel that I am, in fact, hilarious because sometimes she disagrees, which is obviously an act of rebellion against the elders of the church. Uh, Two people who were very cool when I was young, when I was little, were Indiana Jones and Michael Jackson. Very different characters, but take my word for it, very cool. They're very different, but one similarity they shared was they, they each wore very distinctive articles of clothing that enhanced their coolness. Indiana Jones had that hat, right? And Michael Jackson wore a, a like rhinestone studded glove on just one hand for no apparent reason. Take my word for it, that was cool. It was the 80s, I don't know what to tell you. And then he wore these pants, at least in one iteration of his life, that launched a line of pants that were called, children of the 80s, do you remember? Parachute pants. Now, when I was in grade school, and actually for over the decades, countless men and boys have tried to pull off the Indiana Jones hat. Guys, I want, I just, I'm speaking the truth in love up here. It doesn't work. It, like, it's one thing to look at how cool and recognize that is cool. It's another thing to be able to pull it off. When I was in grade school, every so often the random sort of spoiled boy with gullible parents would show up to school wearing parachute pants. If you were that boy... I want, I've got to tell you, it, it didn't, it wasn't cool. It just wasn't. I am, I'm sure this happened somewhere across America. Some boy walked into some school wearing one bedazzled glove. I wasn't there to see it, but let me tell you what happened. He was immediately beaten up. <laughs> and because it was the 80s and it was a different era, the administration took no disciplinary action for what happened. The meeting with his parents went like this. He said, look, he wore the glove to school. What did he think was going to happen? Seeing those articles of clothing on those two men and recognizing the cool therein is one thing. But Having enough cool inside of you to pull those things off is a completely different story. Now, hang on to that illustration for a minute. I promise we're going to use it later. This morning, though, we're going to start a new passage or a new section in the book of James. It's the final section of the book before James concludes. And from 4.13, where we start today, through 5.11, James is going to be talking to us about competing worldviews. 
Remember, the book of James as a whole is all about growing as a Christian, growing in this faith of ours. And for the rest of the body of the book, James is going to be telling us, you have to have the correct worldview if you're going to grow in this faith. Now, a worldview is exactly what it sounds like. It's the way you view the world. It's the lens through which one views the world. It's the big picture way that we see the world. And so our worldview shapes and sometimes determines what we find important, what we deem acceptable and unacceptable, what we find valuable. It helps shape our our decision-making. And Christianity, the Bible comes with a worldview, a, a biblical worldview. It's not, it doesn't come in human beings sort of preloaded. It must be adopted about his biblical worldview, Christian worldview. C.S. Lewis said this, and I've always liked this quote about worldviews. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what a biblical worldview does. It's not merely that we understand the cross and the empty tomb and we believe those things, but because we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and because we believe he he left us his word, that then that becomes the lens through which we see everything else, what is important, what is vital, what is good, what is bad, what's acceptable. That's not the worldview most people have. Most people are walking around with the one that comes preloaded on our operating systems. The default worldview of human beings is just a self-focused worldview. Self-focused worldview makes my life seem like a movie and I'm the main character in the life that's about my movie, in the movie it's about my life. And so my worldview becomes one of uh, self-sufficiency where I decide what I feel like I want and I feel like I need and my life is about me working to get what I want. This is a problem right here where we live just as much as it is a problem for someone elsewhere. This is not a problem of the coastal elites. If we value anything around here, it is self-sufficiency. We want to be, we respect the self-made man. But always remember what's been said about the self-made man. It's so true. The problem with a self-made man is he tends to worship his creator. When we are stuck in self-reliance, in a very big picture way, when, when our life becomes focused on me getting what I want, controlling outcomes, determining my future, it's a bit like from a cosmic big picture way, I'm wearing the Indiana Jones hat and some parachute pants 
because I don't have what it takes to pull off what I think, what I'm convinced I can pull off. That's what James writes about today. The fallacy of self-reliance and the necessity of God-reliance. And it is a very different worldview to adopt a God-reliant worldview and reject a self-reliant worldview. That's what we want to talk about today. Let's read our passage. It comes from the book of James chapter 4. It's just verses 13 through 17, and they read this way. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's our passage. We start in verse 14 where James introduces a new problem, and that problem is self-reliance. James, he introduces some made-up people, these, these hypothetical business people who, who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to that town, and here's the business I'm going to start, and we're going to make a profit. All James is doing is crafting an example of someone who makes long-range plans that are self-focused and godless. And listen, there is a difference between things being sinful and being godless. It is very possible to make plans that are not inherently sinful, but have those plans be godless. And James is encouraging us to, op, to, to adopt a God-reliant, God-focused worldview. So this isn't a question of whether or not what this business is that these hypothetical men plan. It's not that the business is sinful. It's just that God isn't the motive, isn't included in the decision-making process. That's the problem. It is self-reliant. Now, next, James is going to tell us the, the real problem with being self-reliant. He's going to tell us the problem with that problem. And the problem is According to James, you, you don't control tomorrow. The problem with self-reliance is it's a mirage. It's, we're trying, when we are self-reliant, when we rely on ourselves and our ability to achieve and obtain what we want to make us feel, how we want to feel, we are relying on something that's just not there. That we don't have the ability off. We, we tend to live like we have way more control, way more influence, way more ability to shape the future than we actually do. This, this little passage in James, he had to have some Proverbs in mind because it's very similar to several Proverbs. We're going to see them as we go along. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow. Why? Because you don't know 
what tomorrow will bring. That's what James is talking about today. The most powerful, the most influential, the most wealthy people in our, in our community, in our region, in our nation, in our world are not nearly as powerful and influential as we think or maybe they think. Because the truth is, we operate inside an illusion of control. Because the truth is, any number of things could end my life or my best laid plans tomorrow. What is your life like, James? You're a puff of smoke. You're, you're a little patch of fog that appears for a short time and then vanishes. What is James saying? Is James saying you're not valuable? No. You're infinitely valuable because you were created in the image of God. But as far as your ability to shape the future, it's not in you. It's not in me. And life would continue without you or me Like, like a steamroller going downhill. But this is one of the toughest things for us when we lose someone that's very close to us. When we lose someone we love so much that is so valuable and important to us because we feel like life has stopped and then we find out it very much hasn't. why we, part of the reason why we have got to build our life around the one who never vanishes. So James says, instead of that self-reliance that he's laid out, he encourages us to be God-reliant. He says, you ought to say instead, if the Lord wills, then we'll go to that place, we'll do that business, we will Whatever it is. Now, about this verse, I want to talk about a couple things James is not saying first. It's, James is not correcting a speech pattern here. James is not teaching us how to, how to talk. And I say that because I have heard well-meaning Christians use this verse this way. It goes like this. Let's say I am speaking with someone and I talk about a plan I have made. I am going to you know, buy this storefront and I'm going to open this business downtown. Or, or I'm going to go to this college and major, get this major and, and, and pursue that. And a well-meaning Christian might say to me, oh, you didn't say if the Lord wills. Make sure you add if the Lord wills and then you're okay. That's not James's point. He's not teaching us how to talk. Because it's very possible to make those plans really, from selfish reasons, add those magic words at the end and really not match James's heart for this passage. Also, James is not teaching us that planning is wrong, that setting goals is wrong. 
He's certainly not telling us that moving to another town is wrong or that, making, uh, that, that, that starting a business and planning to make financial profit from that business is wrong. None of those things are wrong. And we can, we can, go, we can go other places in the Bible to show us that. I'll show you one. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You know what the, the biblical idea taught by that verse is? You should plan and work hard if you would like to profit. And that's a, that is a good biblical concept. You want to lose money? Do things hastily without thinking them through. That's what it says. The argument James is making that is that all of our plans and our hard work that are aimed at pursuing our desires without our first desire being to please the Lord, to be in the, within the will of God, that's what's foolish. We can have the exact same plans and have them be foolish if they're just me-centered and have them be wise if they are God-centered. It's foolish for two reasons. One, we have no ability to shape the future. We're trusting the one who does. But second, the only future that is ultimately going to matter to us is a future that is completely focused on Jesus Christ. Eternity will be all about him. And how we invested the few years of our life down here are going to matter a great deal to us then. This life is short, and it can be focused on me. But my real life is going to be very long, and it will be focused on him. And James wants us to be early adopters at a life focused on him. It will be worth it. It will. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Again, the mind of a man planning his way is not wrong. It's actually biblical. So I want to encourage you, plan. Don't just float through life. Plan, save, invest, work hard. But do all that from inside a worldview that understands the Lord is the star of this movie I'm in. He's the main character. His will, his desire is what's more important. And we're going to talk at the end of our time what it looks like to, to be about His will, what it means to pursue it and to try to find it. But first, James tells us in verse 16 what it is when we're not doing that. Verse 16, James says, but as it is, in other words, as you normally are, when you're relying on yourself, when your life is about your goals and your feelings, as you operate in that default operating system that we all come with, 
James tells us what we're actually doing. We're being arrogant. As we walk in self-reliance and self-focus, we are walking in arrogance. Why? You know, he doesn't say it's an interesting word to use. When I'm self-reliant, I'm arrogant. Why? Because I, I feel like I've convinced myself I am able to pull off what I am unable to pull off. Again, I'm wearing the parachute pants and the one diamond studded glove and I'm convinced I'm pulling them off when I'm not. When I make my life about my goals and my feelings and I, I'm convinced I can get those things, I'm convinced I'm pulling, I can pull something off that I just am not able to pull off or I'm convinced the reason I don't have those things is because someone else I've convinced myself is pulling off way more than they are able to pull off. You know, that's the, that's the most normal, natural way to live. I figure out what it is I want out of life. I figure out the best ways to pursue what I want out of life. And then when that doesn't happen, I find someone else to blame for why I'm not getting what I want. But when I do that, I'm, I'm convincing myself they are the ones shaping my future and in whose hands I am being held. It's their fault I don't have what I've built my life around having. It's arrogant. Now, if God is at the center of my life, if it is God whom I rely upon and my, my plans are filtered through that, that God-focused worldview, it's not that I won't live in a house and drive cars and have a business. Of course not. But it will involve me asking, which one of God's houses does he want, do I think he wants me to live in? Which, which, which one of God's cars do I think he wants me to drive? Which one of these jobs out here that God's in control of would he like me to try to glorify him in? And failure to be focused on God in my plans, it is failing to realize what will matter to me the most for the longest. It is. And then James ends with this general truth. Whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. James is talking about what's usually called sins of omission. In other words, James is not talking about a sin where I do something I shouldn't do. This is a sin where there's something I should do that I don't do. And James has just outlined one for us. The Bible tells me the best way for me to live is to be God-reliant and God-focused. I know that's best. And when that's not how I live, my whole life misses the mark, which is what sin is. When I know that the point of the whole universe is the Lord, but I live as if the point is me, my whole life misses the mark. That's our whole passage. Does that make sense?
you pick up any of that? Well, now, I want to spend a little time talking about how we would apply this passage to our lives. Because it's one thing to talk about living a life that's focused on the will of God. I want to know the will of God. I want to pursue the will of God. What is God's will for my life in this? But what's that look like and how do you actually do it? How do you go about putting this on? Well, first, most simply, I just want to tell you the two ways to, uh, to do this passage. You know, James said, the way our heart position for our plan should be if the Lord wills. I want to know the Lord's will. So what's, what's the best way to live out this passage? Well, first I want to start right here. So how do I develop a God-reliant worldview? First, step one, I've got to care about God's will. Now don't, this sounds overly simplistic. Maybe it is. But listen, we got to start right here. Do you care about what God wants? Do you care about what God says is best? Because we're not getting anywhere with this until we have a firm answer to that question. Again, the most normal way to live. I figure out what I want. I figure out how to get there. And because we live in a place where the Judeo-Christian ethic is still kind of respected, I just try to be good while I try to get what I want. That is not Christianity. In fact, that's exactly what James is refuting in today's passage. Do I care about what God, God wills, God wants, God desires more than I care about even how I feel or what I desire? If you can answer that honestly, yes, I care. I care about what is God's will for my life. Well, then step two, then do that. Then do God's will. Now, before we close, maybe I should explain that just a little bit. But honestly, for 2024, as we go into a new year, if we want to live this Christian life James is encouraging us to grow in, got to ask myself, do I care about what God says is best? If yes, then let's do it. And it sort of boils down there, but what does it mean to do God's will? How do I know if I'm doing God's will? What does it look like to try to figure out what is God's will for the rest of our time? Let's talk about step two. Let's zoom in a little more on step two. What does it mean to do God's will? Because I want to tell you this morning how to do God's will. You ever wondered? How do I know what God's will is in this situation? I want you to leave here this morning having a better idea of how to do that. First, to do God's will, we have to understand what we're even talking about. And when we talk about God's will or what God's will is or doing God's will, we're often talking about two different things that both just get called God's will. And they are God's revealed will and God's sovereign will. They're related, but they're different things. The 
the revealed will of God is exactly what it sounds like. That is the part of God's will that He has revealed to us. And we find it right here. The revealed will of God is just the term, the name for all of the stuff contained in the Bible, in God's Word. Everything He tells us in here that's good, everything He tells us in here that's not good, this is what God has revealed to us is His will. There's way less mystery in God's revealed will because He's revealed it to us. So like uh, our, our deacons, you guys, uh, when you donate, if you don't donate online and you drop something in, in the offering boxes at, at the back of this room, our deacons collect that. Someone's got to. Our deacons collect that. They turn it over to our treasurer, Seth. They would never have to wonder about God's will like this. Here's this $100 bill in this week's offering. I wonder if it's God's will for me to have that $100 bill. I mean, it, this, it could be God's will for me. I mean, it's here, I'm here, I got a good spot for that, right? They never have to wonder whether or not that's God's will for them. Why? Because it's already been revealed to us that stealing is never God's will. He revealed that. So there's no mystery. I believe for the Christian. When we are concerned about God's will, this one, what has been revealed to us, should, should take up 98% of our focus. What we have been told we are responsible for. Now, the other one. Oh, and by the way, this is the one we can get outside of. You ever have a conversation about whether or not something was outside of God's will? We can absolutely be outside of God's revealed will. If that deacon steals that $100 bill and takes it home with him, we could say that was outside of God's revealed will. Now, God's sovereign will or God's hidden will or God's mysterious will is the name for this concept that God is in control of everything. There's nothing that happens that is outside of God's control. So that deacon stealing that $100 bill would be outside of God's revealed will, but it would be inside God's sovereign will because everything is. There's nothing that happens on the face of our planet that ever happened outside of God's sovereign control. Allowance. And as much as we would like to know more and more about this one, this one, God's sovereign will, just remains a mystery. We cannot know why he allows what he allows, what he, what he allows, what he's planning next. Very often, one of the most common conversations I have had in this job over the years is that people come in, they're facing some big decision. And they want to talk to me about what is God's will for that decision. And I am not criticizing this at all. More on that in a minute. It's good to have that conversation. I've had that conversation. Very often, though, what we want to know 
is something hidden in this that we can't know. If I come to you about some big decision, uh, do, I, do I buy or rent this house or that house, this town or that town, that college or that college, do I marry this person or not? And I want to know what God's will is. What I actually want to know is I want to know how this is going to work out if I do it. Right? And I want you to tell me. Right? Or you want me to tell And I can't help you there. And you can't help me there. But that's what we want to know. What we have to do, I think, what we have to do is focus right here on what we do know and trust God with the one we don't. So now, how, care about God's will, do God's will, what does it look like? How do I go about trying to do God's will? So we're still focused in on step two. We know what we're talking about, the revealed will of God, the sovereign will of God. How do I go about doing that? So let's think about, let's put ourselves inside a situation. You've got a big fork in the road, life-altering decision to be made. How do we do it inside God's will? How do, we, how do we do this in, in the way James is talking about? If the Lord wills, I'm going to do this or that. Okay, how to do God's will. First, focus on God's revealed will. Focus on God's revealed will. If you want to do God's will, if you want to pursue God's will, you have to start with the ones we can be sure about. So in your big life-altering decision, you come in to talk to me. Here's what we're going to do first. We are going to try to determine if there's anything in this decision that would put you outside of God's revealed will. Or is there any sin in this decision? And that is sometimes way more difficult to determine than it seems. Because right here, I've got to examine my motives. It's not as simple as, hey, there's nothing sinful about buying a house. There's nothing sinful about starting a new business. I've got to examine my motives. Why do I want that house or that business? Why do I want more money? Why do I want whatever, whatever it is? How does my pride play into this? Like, what's it, what's, this, what's it for? Who's it for? There can be times where God's going to hate some stuff no matter what I do. All right, if I was, if I was consistently, unrepentantly beating on and cheating on Rachel, and she came to sit down with you, said, is, is, it, is it God's will for me to divorce this dirtbag or not? Does God hate divorce? Yeah. Does God hate what's going on in the marriage? Yeah. This can be tough. This can be tough. But this can also be not so tough. So if I want to do God's will, again, 95% of my focus should be on what he has revealed to me, 
that I am responsible for doing. Second, then when I'm facing this big decision with unknown outcomes, so I, again, I see item number one first. I, 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 is there sin in it? How are my motives? Where's my pride? Um, then B, seek God's hidden will. We cannot know everything God has planned and you want to know. You come to me, we sit down, you want to know how is this going to work out, whether I do option A or option B, right? If that's what you want to know, listen, it doesn't hurt to ask. If we ask like this, God, which of these will be best for me? In your eyes. Which of these would you consider best? That's what I want to know. Now, will he always tell us? No, he won't. But that's the problem James has with these businessmen in verse 13 of this passage. The whole problem is not they decided to go into business in a different town. Their problem is they didn't ask God if that's what he thought was best. So what, what we do, we seek, we care about what God says is best. That's why we ask, we pray, we go get some wise counsel. We sit down, you find someone that you think has discernment, who cares about the things of the Lord. You ask them to go through the pros and cons with you. You ask them, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Because I just, I want to know what God would say is best in this. He may not tell you, but you've done it right. The wrong way to do it is, I didn't even ask, because I really don't care. I am trying to get what I want, instead of asking God what He does. So we pray, we ask, we get wise counsel. If you're married, you def- your, your spouse is involved with that. And if He doesn't tell you clearly, then it's not for you to know. So then... Step C is to walk by faith. Now you are ready to make your decision. Do I buy or do I rent? Well, we look through, uh, we look through the scriptures. Is there anything that says one way or the other is righter or wronger? Nope. Right? I, I've, I've read this book cover to cover. I've decided I'm going to do it again uh, this next year. And I have never seen whether or not it's better for someone to live in champion or enders. It's just not in here. I've prayed, I've sought wise counsel, I've done all that stuff. And if God doesn't tell you, that means what God is more interested in is you doing His revealed will while you wait to see His hidden will. And most of these big decisions fit right there. I walk by faith, not by sight, I want to glorify him in option A. I want to glorify him in option B. I'm doing either one for him. If I take the job that turns into a train wreck, I don't waste my time saying, I knew I shouldn't have taken this job. 
No. God led you to walk by faith into that train wreck. Does God care how you deal with the train wreck? Yes, in fact, he cares way more about how you respond to the train wreck than he, caught, than he cares about helping you read the tea leaves so that you can avoid the train wreck. In his sovereign will, he led you into the train wreck. Why? So that someone else might see how a real life Christian deals with a train wreck. The best place for, in the Bible, I think, for seeing what pursuing the will of God, the revealed will of God, while you wait to find out the hidden will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 reads this way, Always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But examine all things. Weigh the options, explore, plan, be wise, examine all things, hold fast to what is good. How do I know what's good? He revealed it. And stay away from every form of evil. How do I know what's evil? He revealed it. You want to know if you're walking in God's will after you've chosen, you've made the decision, chosen option A or option B? Am I, am I doing God's will? Am I doing this the right way? Well, let me ask you, are you rejoicing? Well, Pastor Matt, I can't rejoice. This thing turned into a train wreck. If you are in Christ, you always have way more to be thankful for than you have to complain about. Are you rejoicing that you are in the control of the one who's in control? Are you praying? Are you giving thanks? If so, let me tell you, you are squarely in God's will because that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Living this way actually takes the pressure off because I'm no longer trying to be responsible for how I'm going to feel in six months. I'm no, no longer responsible for shaping the events of my future. I am just trusting the one who's in control of all that stuff. And I'm controlled. I'm only focused on living out his revealed will as I discover his hidden will. And that is such a different worldview than most of the Christians we're walking around with. You want to grow in this faith, like James says? Adopt this God-reliant worldview. He is the star in this movie we are all in. And we're focused on what he wants, what he desires. Doing what we can know while we discover what we can't. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you are uh, sovereignly in control of a world that seems like it's spinning out. God, help us to pursue what you say is best um, while we wait to see what we can never know. God, uh, I know that there are folks right here this morning, right now, struggling with big decisions. Um, and if that's not us, we soon will be. 
So, Lord, I just pray you'd help us to rely upon you and, and have the peace that comes from knowing what we are responsible for and what we are not. That you'd be glorified in how we uh, do the will of the Lord, giving thanks, rejoicing, come what may. Thanks for being the star of our show. Help us to uh, make sure that our credits point at you. And bless 2024 as it comes in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand up and we'll finish our time this morning.